Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome to episode number 57 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Christian Cody of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline. And the dust is officially settled from the 2019 NFL Draft, as we're just over 48 hours removed from the Arizona Cardinals, making UCLA tight end Caleb Wilson Mr. Irrelevant with the final pick in the seventh round. Tony, have you had any downtime the last couple of days? Uh, not really. Still doing some... Radio interviews around the uh, country. I'm actually going to release a 2020 mock draft on the site probably Wednesday. So got to get that together. But, you know, it, it has absolutely has not been as crazy as, as it has been the past couple of months. So come home from the gym in the morning, have some extra time, kind of wonder what I'm going to do. But there's always, there's always uh, something to fill space. Yeah, and I'm sure you just sometimes wonder what to do and then just say, hey, you know, let me just fire on some game film. That will come in about another week or two to get ready for 2020. That's not too far off in the distant. But right now it's uh, radio interviews. Baltimore this morning. I think I have Washington on Wednesday. Tomorrow, actually doing a podcast with Rich Semini of ESPN reviewing the uh, Jets draft. That should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Everybody should keep an eye out for that one here. Tony and I are going to go division by division. Reed's going to pick one team. We felt enjoyed a standout draft compared to its division mates. Now, it's quite possible there may be some overlap with our picks, but here we go. We'll start with the AFC East, and Tony, take it away. I got to go with the Buffalo Bills. I'm torn between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. I like the drafts from both teams, but I think Buffalo really hit it out of the park. You know, there was talk they were going to trade up to get out Ed Oliver. They didn't have to. They sat there, and he fell into the laps with the ninth pick. He's one of the better players in this year's draft. Defensive lineman, whenever you can draft the top-rated defensive lineman, you've helped your uh, entire defense. I think he's going to be a great fit for that organization. I think it was a great selection for him. Same situation around two. I mean, there was talk they were going to trade up to get Cody Ford. They didn't need to. They sat where they were, and Cody Ford fell to him. You know, he can play guard. He could potentially play right tackle. I thought it was another home run for the uh, Bills. Uh, Devin Singletary in round three, slightly earlier than I thought, but a guy who I think would be good in the rotational system. Love the pick of Dawson Knox as the third round closed out. Uh, they are in desperate need of a tight end. Dawson Knox has got great upside. There may be some bumps in the road, but still, I mean, he's a terrific pass-catching tight end that I think Josh Allen will make the most of. I like Vosin Joseph, a run-and-chase linebacker, a little bit undersized. I think you can put him on the inside. I think you can put him on the outside. Jaquan Johnson, a uh, tough, nasty, uh, strong safety, taken in round six. I thought that was great value. I thought they finished it out well. Daryl Johnson, the edge rusher from North Carolina, A&T, more of a practice squad type of prospect. And Thomas Sweeney, towards the end of, or actually the middle of round seven, a guy who I think can make the depth chart as a uh, number three tight end. You know, a guy who's efficient, not great as both a blocker and pass catcher. Yeah, and those are the two teams I would agree with here. I would have gone with the Bills as well, but I will go with the Patriots here because they also had a good draft. You don't want to take it away from them. They ended up getting Nikhil Harry, who was quite possibly the number one receiver on their board after we talked about possibly A.J. Brown being that guy here, but he fills a hole. They have some options this year, obviously, depending on what happens with the whole Josh Gordon situation. Lots of rumors surrounding that, that he's going to be reinstated eventually. If he does, Harry might take a bit of a backseat this season, but 
They don't have any receivers signed for next year. I'm sure Julian Edelman will end up being back. But beyond that, Harry has a definite clear future role with the Pats. And, you know, he's a guy that he's not going to separate particularly well, but he wins after the catch. He's tough. He makes catches in the air. He's a very good player. It was the second receiver off the board, and it's really hard to disagree with that here. In the second round, they went with Jawan Williams, the big cornerback out of Vanderbilt. Guy who's really going to thrive and bump and run. Deep speed is a bit of a question for him, but he's a solid value pick that fills the need in the second round. I really liked what they did in the third round. They traded back with the Bears. The Bears came up to get David Montgomery. Iowa State running back ended up getting Chase Winovich at the 77th pick New England did, and Damian Harris, the Alabama running back, at the 87th pick. Now, both of these guys, again, pretty good value here. Winovich is a guy who produced at the college level. He showed that he was an NFL caliber athlete. He has a high motor. He's definitely a Patriots type of player who's going to help them out a lot off the edge. And Damian Harris, while it's a crowded backfield in New England, Sony Michelle has some injury issues. James White is strictly a pass catching back. Damian Harris can do both. He can catch passes better than Sony Michelle. He can run in between the tackles better than James White. So he's the guy that they can keep on the field not necessarily telegraph their play calls and a guy who was a little underrated falling here into the 87th pick. And that's the pick they got from the bears for David Montgomery. They slid back 14 spots, got a very similar running back and picked up some capital later on. I'm definitely interested in some of their third day picks as well. Yelda Froholt from Arkansas has been playing the offensive line for only three years. He continues to improve. He's a guy who has some versatility. He can play guard. He can play center, intense player, good technique. So he's an interesting fit for New England. Obviously, Jarrett Stidham, who we talked about a lot during the season, we talked about on our last show, a good fourth round flyer for New England and a guy who could eventually develop into the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Byron Cowart in the fifth round, another player who you know came to college, a highly recruited player, ended up at Maryland, did well at the Senior Bowl, a guy who has some good traits for a fifth round pick. And then I was actually intrigued by the Ken Webster pick towards the end of the draft. You know, he's a guy who we've talked about before as he's all tools, he's all traits. He never really produced, had a lot of injury issues. But at that point in the seventh round, it's really hard to look at a toolsy prospect like that and say it was anything but a really nice flyer pick. Moving on to the NFC East here, Tony, what'd you make of that division? Let's just go back to Ken Webster. You know, Webster coming off the 2016 season, I thought it was 2016, yeah, I graded him as one of the top cornerback prospects in the nation. But what happened with him was he suffered a devastating injury in the first game of the year when Old Miss played Florida State. I may have my years mixed up, but he, he just had a devastating knee injury, and there was some question as to whether or not he was ever going to come back. He tested well. Uh, tested much better than expected. He seemed to lose a lot of explosion and quickness in his game, but you go back in his earlier film, he was just highly rated, as well he should have been. Uh, but it was just that devastating knee injury that he suffered in Florida State the first game of that season, the 2017 season, I believe it was, that I think really put him back, but I w- would agree with you. It was worth the seventh-round selection. We'll go to the NFC East, and since I went first with the AFC East, Chris, you get your pick of the litter here. All right, and, and I'm going to go here with the Washington Redskins. I thought they did a really nice job. Dwayne Haskins fell into their lap at number 15. They didn't force a trade up, whether Dan Snyder actually ended up with control of the war room or not. He didn't panic. They didn't panic, whoever it was. They ended up getting, very arguably, the best quarterback in the draft at number 15. Then I really like what they did trading back into the back end of the first round and getting Montez Sweat at number 26. He fell a little because of the heart diagnosis at the Combine. Some teams probably had them off their boards completely. And as a result, he slipped a little bit. The Redskins took advantage, came up and got him. I really like the Terry McLaurin pick 
in the middle of the third round with pick 76. Guy who was outstanding at the Senior Bowl, runs good routes, showed that he has excellent speed at the combine. He can be a deep threat. He can be an intermediate threat. And that depth chart is pretty weak at the wide receiver position, so he can definitely make an immediate impact. Bryce Love in the fourth round, I was a bit surprised to see him go that early since he's hurt right now and you know there's not much promise for him to be healthy this season, although I did read a report today that said that he might be ready for training camp. So who knows? I think that's a bit optimistic after you tear your ACL in December for you to come back eight months later. Uh, he was a guy who was really a shell of himself on the 2018 film compared to what he did in 2017 after taking over for Christian McCaffrey. But again, a player that if he gets back to full strength can definitely be a contributor in that backfield. They did reach a little on Wesley Gar- Wesley Martin, rather the small area guard out of Indiana later in the fourth round, but they bounced back later on. Cole Holcomb in the fifth round was a good pick. He's a bit small, but he's fast. He recognizes plays well. He had a good pro day despite being a combine snub. At the very least, he's a core special teamer who can mix in on defense as well. Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round, a guy that may not have a ton of upside based on a limited athletic profile, not a great separator, but a very productive receiver, knows how to win in contested situations and can provide really nice depth for them. And the Redskins also did some good work in the seventh round. They got Jimmy Moreland, a guy we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, Shrine Game stud, Senior Bowl stud, guy in the seventh round who represents really nice value. And then Jordan Brailford, who might be kind of a one-trick pony as a pass rusher, has some good bend around the edge, but really limited as a run defender. But he's a solid fit in the Redskins 3-4. And again, in the seventh round, you don't mind that he's not that complete of a player. Tony, what are you thinking? Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, Brelford was a good pick later on, a situational pass rusher. I, too, would have picked the Washington Redskins, but since you selected them, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles, who I think did a knockout job for a team that won the Super Bowl two years ago, was close to getting to the uh, NFC title game last year. You know, we've talked about teams that continually work the draft and work it well. You saw it in 2018 with the Eagles when they traded back and still got their tight end in Dallas Goddard. You saw it this year when they traded up and they got their left tackle, Andre Dillard. This was just a spectacular pick by the Philadelphia Eagles, who have a way of drafting offensive linemen in the early part of the draft, through the middle part of the draft, developing these guys, and then keeping them around forever. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Andre Dillard. I said all along, Dillard is going to be the best offensive lineman to come out of this draft. He was the second offensive lineman selected. He went a good 10 picks later than I thought he should have. Uh, He has the athleticism. He has the smarts. He plays with the fundamentals that the Eagles like. I think he's going to be a day-one starter, and he's going to be in that that first team for a long, long time. I thought Miles Sanders was another terrific uh, selection. They traded for Jordan Howard in the offseason, but I think eventually Miles Sanders is a guy who's going to get a lot of carries. He's a versatile back. What he adds to the Philadelphia Eagles that the other backs don't have is the ability to turn the perimeter, the ability to get to the outside. He's got a great amount of upside, solid pass catcher in the backfield, doesn't have a lot of mileage on him because he was really only a one-year starter last season when he took over for Saquon Barkley. I thought this was another terrific pick by the Eagles. J.G.R. Siegel-Whiteside, you know, we went, I went through the pre-draft process saying how the Eagles wanted to increase their team speed. They didn't do it with our Siegel-Whiteside, but what they did was they got a, another big-bodied receiver who will give them protection in case Alshon Jeffrey leaves in the future. He's a guy who wins out for the contested throws. He's a terrific red zone threat. He's a guy who I think is going to see a lot of time in the rotation next year. He's a guy who's got a decent amount of upside. And again, you know, he solidified his second round ranking 
with a terrific 40 time at the combine, ran four or five. Now, that's not the fastest time, but for a guy that's as big as J.J. Arcega Whiteside, who goes over 220 pounds, that was a solid time. Sharif Miller in round four, I thought that was an excellent pick. That's just where we had him graded. They needed an, an additional edge rusher. That's exactly what they got in Sharif Miller. Comes off a terrific season and a guy who I think will get time as a rotational back, a uh, rotational defensive end with Derek Barnett, with Brandon Graham, with Vinnie Curry. I think he can absolutely make the team as a fourth defensive end, maybe a fifth defensive end. They drafted Josh Sweat last year in the fourth round. They were not too happy with what they got out of him. So I think Miller can overtake Josh Sweat. Clayton Thorson in the fifth round was a solid pick. I mean, Clayton Thorson has got terrific physical skills. He's a big-body pocket passer. He's just never pulled it together. And you see Doug Peterson. He knows how to develop quarterbacks. He knows how to get the best out of quarterbacks. So I think Thorson, I don't know if he's going to make the active roster. I think he's a guy who absolutely could be a practice squad player for him. Uh, And it was a, a solid selection has an outside opportunity to make the roster as a third quarterback. A lot of people like Nate Sudfeld. So I I think what could potentially happen is if Clayton Thorson shows a lot of good things in camp this summer, Nate Sudfeld could eventually be traded for some draft picks. We'll move on now to the AFC North. Uh, I'll I'll take the first one, and I got to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was tweeting throughout the draft, especially after the first round, how I absolutely loved what they were doing. And I think really from top to bottom, the Steelers hit a home run uh, in 2019. They made that big move up to get Devin Bush. They had Bush rated a little bit higher than I did, but you know what? That was the guy that they targeted all along. If you uh, listen to our podcast, especially if you were listening after the Michigan Pro Day, I was told that the uh, Steelers had almost their entire coaching staff and much of their front office there to select Devin Bush. He's a guy that fills a need. He brings speed. He brings intensity. He brings a lot of things that they lost out on when Ryan Shazier went down with that career-ending injury. Thought that was a terrific pick for them. Deontay Johnson went a little bit earlier than most people thought. If you were with us the morning of the first round, I said that Deontay Johnson was moving up draft boards. I thought the uh, New England Patriots could take him in the third round. Well, he wasn't there for the New England Patriots because the Pittsburgh Steelers took him in the third round. Great fit for the Steelers system. Can play on the outside, can play in the slot, and is an outstanding punt returner. I expect Deontay Johnson really to make an impact as a rookie in the NFL. I absolutely love the selection of uh, Justin Lane in round three. I think he was one of the more underrated cornerbacks coming into the draft. He's got size. He's got ball skills. Not the super fastest guy in the world. Ran 4-5-0 at the, uh, during the combine, but that's fast enough. You look at the Steelers' depth chart. You got Joe Hayden at one spot. They brought in Steve Nelson. Mike Hilton is, is the nickelback. I absolutely think that you will see Justin Lane, if he's not competing for one of the starting spots by the end of his rookie year, he will definitely be the nickelback. I think it's a great pick for the, both the uh, short term and, and the long term. Uh, I've gushed over Benny Snell, and we talked about this uh, the other night, and I think that this is just a perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like Snell as a player. He's a tough, grinded-out guy on the inside, a great downhill runner with terrific short area quickness and the ability to make defenders miss. Shows the ability to get around tackle, although he's not a true perimeter runner. Solid pass catcher out of the backfield, uh, an outstanding blocker. I mean, if there was one team and one offense that was perfectly designed for Benny Snell's talents, it is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that this is a selection that they're going to look back on fondly for a long time to come. Zach Gentry in round five. I thought that was a solid pick. I had him right in that fifth round area. 
They lost Jesse James in free agency. Gentry's a guy who a lot, some other people don't like. Didn't run well at the combine, but he was never a guy that was going to split the seam down the field. He, he looks like a power forward on the football field. He's a terrific blocker. He's a solid short and intermediate range passer. I would expect to see him on the active roster come September. All their picks from round six on, they had three selections around six and one in uh, round seven. I thought they were all solid. Sutton Smith, sort of like the defensive version of Benny Snell. Sutton Smith needed to play in a specific system for a specific coach, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's going to be a great situational pass rusher who's going to do an outstanding job on special teams. Isaiah Bugs coming into the season, was graded as one of the highest defensive linemen from the senior class. He didn't have the great uh, he didn't have a great season, but he didn't uh, uh, he didn't deserve to fall into the sixth round. I think this is great value for the uh, Steelers. I think this is a guy who can absolutely make the uh, active roster as a backup defensive end. Their last pick in round six, Ulysses Gilbert, or as I like to call him, Ulysses. Don't call me Grant Gilbert. Uh, this is a sensational pick. I mean, this guy was one of the most underrated linebackers all year. He was graded as a street free agent by scouts coming into the season who didn't expect him to make it out of minicamp. Has another good year in 2018, also had a good year in 2017, was one of the best linebackers at the Shrine game, was not invited to the combine, runs under 4-5 uh, at his pro day. He's athletic, he's explosive, he's instinctive, he goes sideline to sideline. I think he is the inside version, the inside linebacker version of Sutton Smith in the sense that he's going to be a situational player who's also going to be a demon on special teams. I will say this about all the selections that the Pittsburgh Steelers have. They will be on a roster somewhere in the league come this fall. They'll either be on the Pittsburgh Steelers active roster or they'll be on another team's active roster, or they will be on the practice squad. That's how highly I think of this collection of players by the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, and Tony likes the Steelers draft. I was a big fan of what the Ravens were able to accomplish. Marquise Brown in the first round brings a needed element of speed to that offense after they lost John Brown in free agency. Lamar Jackson, fast. Marquise Brown, fast. A guy that they picked up later on in the draft that I'll get to at the running back position, fast. So this team is going to run. They really want to add some speed here around Lamar Jackson, and it looks like they're trying to develop him as best they can. He's trying to improve his accuracy this offseason. So it'll be really interesting, but Marquise Brown is going to really play an important role for this team moving forward. Willie Sneed is strictly a slot guy. Marquise Brown is going to stretch the field, and he's going to give Lamar Jackson an option to just unload deep down the field. If Lamar Jackson is going to overthrow Marquise Brown, that's totally fine, but it's very difficult to overthrow Marquise Brown. The Ravens didn't have another pick, though, until the third round, but they ended up with a guy who's a first-round prospect on our board, Louisiana Tech's Jalen Ferguson. They needed a pass rusher after losing some players at that position in the offseason. Ferguson is a guy who moves well. He has a nice toolbox of moves. He's got to get stronger. He's got to work on locating the ball a bit quicker. Obviously, he's going to be jumping from competition level at Louisiana Tech into the NFL, so it may take him a moment to get going, but this is a guy late in the third round who you have to be really impressed by them picking him and being able to get him there. Eight picks later, they went back to the well wide receiver. Miles Boykin out of Notre Dame, guy who really blew up the combine. Top-notch agility, top-notch speed, explosion. He's a big receiver. His production was kind of held down with the Irish due to some poor quarterback play. But when Ian Book took over for Brandon Wimbush, he really picked up his game and did a lot better. He's kind of a late riser through the process and a nice snag here at the end of day two. The running back speed I mentioned before was Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. 
Now, he's not a great pass catcher, but he's a guy who can really complement Mark Ingram very well. Ingram has that power game on the interior, can also catch passes. But Hill will be a really good change of pace back here in Baltimore and, again, brings even more speed to an offense that is now full of it. Second pick in the fourth round for the Ravens was Ben Powers out of Oklahoma. Small area power blocking guard is a great fit in this run-heavy scheme that's going to be played in Baltimore, even if they open it up a little bit more. He's a guy who really fits this offense well. Amon Marshall, the last pick in the fourth round, that's the first pick I thought the Ravens probably reached a little bit on. He's got good size and speed, but he's a bit raw. He's either a zone cornerback or a safety, not a guy who's really thrived in man coverage. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. But I think he was picked a little bit early. Um, the next pick in the fifth round was Dalen Mack, who I think was spot on defensive tackle out of Texas A&M. Gives them a guy who can plug up the run in the middle of the field as a nose tackle. They close it out in the sixth round with Trace McSorley, quarterback out of Penn State. I wonder if they end up keeping him at quarterback. But if there's a team where he fits, it's behind Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. He can run that system. He's athletic. You know, he doesn't have the best accuracy, doesn't have the best arm strength. But you know what? Neither does their starting quarterback. So he's actually a guy who could fit in decently as a backup for the Ravens or they could try him out at some different positions as well. We're going to head to the NFC North now, and my pick for the team that did best in this division is the Green Bay Packers. Now, they did take Rashawn Gary at number 12, which is sort of a questionable fit for their defense. A guy who was announced as a linebacker, he's listed on the depth chart as a defensive end, though, so I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Either way, he's a guy that's going to be a guy rushing the passer for them. They added Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith in free agency, so it was obviously a focus for them to get more athletic on the edge and on the defensive line, and they did just that with Gary. It's going to be interesting to see how they use him for sure. Their second first-round pick was Darnell Savage, the safety out of Maryland, a guy who can play both the run and the pass very well, had a good senior bowl week really rose through the process, tested well at the combine, and, and a guy that a lot of teams like ended up being the first safety off the board. We were talking about guys like Jonathan Abram or possibly Juan Thornhill being the number one safety off the board. Well, it ended up being Savage, and he's a guy that can definitely help the Packers out on the back end. What I really like about what Green Bay did was what they did on the second day, the 44th overall pick. They went with Elton Jenkins, the center out of Mississippi State. He's a strong run blocker. He's a leader along the offensive line. He's really a guy who could end up being a decade-long starter for Green Bay at the pivot. In the third round, they picked up Jace Sternberger, another player from the SEC at Texas A&M, a tight end who didn't really get going in his career until this past year, made a lot of different stops throughout his college career. There are a lot of questions over the years, but he came out this year who was very productive and a guy who has some good traits. Not the best blocker, a guy you're going to want to improve there, but right now they have Jimmy Graham at tight end. He's getting a bit long at the tooth. And Jay Sternberger profiles a bit similarly as a pass catch first tight end who can stretch the seam a little bit and really be productive as a receiver. Green Bay didn't have a fourth round pick. We moved to the fifth round where they ended up with Kingsley KK, the three technique lineman on the inside. He's kind of an explosive first step player, gets caught on blocks here and there, but a guy who can definitely contribute and push the pocket on the interior. Uh, a couple of six round picks. They got Qatar Holman out of TCU and Dexter Williams out of Notre Dame. Now, the Dexter Williams pick is kind of interesting. I wasn't in love with his performance at the Senior Bowl, but again, it's hard to really truly judge running backs in that setting. He's a guy who does a lot of things pretty well, doesn't stand out in any one area, but he's going to be good depth for them. Probably not going to beat out Aaron Jones for the starting job, but could easily overtake Jamal Williams and possibly see some time as a backup for the Packers. What I really like on the third day here is their seventh round pick, and that's Ty Summers at 226 overall. He's a great athlete with really good instincts. What he needs to do, what he needs to improve, is his production. 
He didn't really produce that much when he was in college at TCU. Needs to quickly do that in order to make sure that he breaks the roster here, but he's definitely a worthy flyer in the seventh round. Tony, who do you think excelled here? Yeah, I agree with a lot with what you said about Green Bay. I like their draft, but the Rashawn Gary uh, selection was a bit strange to me, especially they did such an outstanding job in free agency. I'm going to go with Minnesota. Minnesota had 12 picks. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all 12 picks. Start at the top, Garrett Bradbury, hands down the best center in this year's draft, with bar none. Uh, and he's a guy who I think is quickly going to break into the starting lineup. He has a lot of Nick Mangled in his game. Mangled, who was a multiple uh, Pro Bowl performer with the New York Jets, had a long career there. They'll probably move Elfine over the guard, which I think really improves two spots on the offensive line. Love Bradbury, he's, uh, his game. He's just got to get a little bit stronger. Irv Smith in round two was another solid pick. You know, Kyle Rudolph has had injury issues. You don't know what's going to happen with him in the future. I think Irv Smith is a terrific fit in this offense. I think it's a situation where he may not have to start as a rookie. He's got to get a little bit bigger and stronger. I think he'll have that uh, opportunity. Alexander Madison. I had him graded significantly later, but there was talk that he was moving up draft boards uh, the week before the draft. I think he'll be a good backup to Dalvin Cook. Same type of ball carrier, mainly a down a between the tackles, downhill kind of grinder who will pick and choose and, and pick up yardage off uh, initial contact. A solid selection for him, even though I had him graded lower. Drew Samaya, I'm glad to see he went in the fourth round. Coming into the season, I had Samaya graded higher than Ben Powers, his teammate, who the uh, Ravens uh, selected, who you talked about, Chris. But I don't think Samaya really had a good senior campaign. Really, it was kind of up and down uh, during the senior bowl. But if you go back and watch the 2017 film from his junior year, you're looking at a top 90 selection. So if they get him back to where, where he was at that point, I think they'll have something. Cameron Smith in the fifth round is a solid player. Not the greatest athlete in the world, but very tough, very intense Great instincts. He gets the most from his ability, and I think you'll be looking at him as a, as a career backup. Ole Yuda, a guy who, you know, we saw at the Shrine game. We saw him a little bit at the uh, Senior Bowl. A guy who is very raw. I don't know whether he makes the active roster, but I think he makes a practice squad somewhere, and then you develop him for the future. They took two receivers in the seventh round. Olabasi Johnson of Colorado State, who's more of a possession receiver, punt returner, and Dylan Mitchell, who's a faster guy who can also return kicks. So I think that's where they're looking at with one with those two guys. Get one of them uh, who can make the team as a fifth receiver and then line them up as a return specialist. Now we'll get to the other four divisions in just a moment. But first, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, Tony, we're going to head over to the AFC South here. What did you make of that division? I got to say the Indianapolis Colts, uh, in my opinion, had the best draft out of that division. They traded down out of the first round because they didn't like any of their players. And then really, for the most part, it was a defensive-themed draft. They had a bunch of selections. The first one was Rocky Sin, a guy who I think can quickly start for cornerback Adam. He's a tough, feisty guy. If he's not the starting corner, he'll be the starting nickel player. Not the fastest guy in the world, but a tough, savvy guy with great instincts. And Rocky Sin is another guy. When he came into the uh, 2018 campaign, scouts graded him as a, a low-level street-free agent. They didn't expect him to get off the 80-man roster. And here he is getting late first-round consideration, went to the top of round two. 
Bembenagu was one of the players that they took with the uh, picks they got from the trade. He's an outstanding pass rusher. You know, Jabal Sheard's been around for a while. Taekwon Lewis really isn't that great of a pass rusher. I think Ben Benagu, who we had talked about moving up draft boards a couple of weeks before the draft since his pro day, I think he's going to add immediate pass rush ability. Something interesting uh, on this, which I spoke about before, there was talk about the Jets moving up or wanting to move up to either the 34th pick to the Indianapolis Colts or the 37th pick to the Seattle Seahawks. I said that they were moving up to get Ben Benagu. Others have said that they were moving up to get, get a cornerback like Rocky Asin. In the end, it doesn't matter because the Colts beat them to both players. Round three, they took Bobby Okariki, who I thought it was a little bit early for Okariki, but you know what? They've done a great job drafting and developing linebackers. We saw that last year with Darius Leonard. Okariki is a little bit undersized, but he's fast. He's explosive. He goes sideline to sideline. It's just a matter of him developing his game. I did skip over, pick Paris Campbell, who I think will work very well into our Lucas Oil Stadium. He needs to improve his route running. But he's a fast guy who's coming off a terrific senior campaign. If he continues to progress, he's going to be an outstanding second-round selection, a guy who I think can be a very productive number two receiver. Kerry Willis, who I thought was selected a little bit earlier than he should have been. I like the pick of Marvell Tell in round five better. Tell, you know, like Willis, is more of a run defender, more of a downhill type of guy. But I think Tell's ball skills are better than Kerry Willis's. The last two selections, you know, that they're developing a terrific offensive line. And I think their last two selections, both in round seven, Jackson Barton, the tackle from Utah, and Javon Patterson, a guy who can play center or guard, are both outstanding selections. Those are guys who can make the roster as backups. Javon Patterson, you could eventually develop him into potentially one of the uh, starting guard spots if you eventually lose a guy like Lewinsky to free agency because he has experience there at the very worst uh, he can back up Ryan Kelly. So all in all, I think I thought it was a terrific effort for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I thought the Titans did a really good job personally. They only had six picks, and they used one of them on a likely redshirt player in the first round in Jeffrey Simmons. But this is a guy who you could argue is one of the top five to seven players in the draft, a deep defensive line draft, a guy who had some off-field issues and some injury issues, yet he still went 19th overall, which tells you all you need to know about the talent he brings on the interior offensive line. Now, again, it might not be something we see in 2019, but him and Jarrell Casey down the line could be a really, really nice combo on the interior for Tennessee. I really like the A.J. Brown pick at number 51 overall. Corey Davis, while he's been solid, he's been a bit of a disappointment considering where they drafted him a couple years ago and what they expected from him. Now, maybe we can blame a lot of that on Marcus Mariota as well, but at the same time, A.J. Brown brings an NFL-ready skill set. He's the guy that tracks the ball really well in the air, former outfielder. I uh, was drafted by the San Diego Padres, so he's got that similar baseball background that you know, a guy like Kyler Murray has at a different position, obviously. But again, A.J. Brown runs good routes. He's a beast after the catch. He's hard to bring down. He showed really good athleticism at the combine, surprising people with how athletic he was. So I think that's a really nice pick and a guy that if Corey Davis doesn't take that next step as a receiver, A.J. Brown could take over as the lead dog in this offense. In the third round, the Titans went with Nate Davis out of Charlotte. A big, strong guard, but he's a bit raw. He's quick out to the second level, doesn't move laterally quite as well as he does downhill to the second level. But once he's developed, really has a lot of upside at the position. In the fourth round, they went with Amani Hooker, the run defending safety out of Iowa. Now he's a guy, he has good size, he has good speed. He's going to be a third safety as a rookie behind Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro, but he's going to be a core special teamer. And despite kind of a lack of ball skills and a guy who's not going to make a huge impact in the passing game, 
that makes him a very nice pairing with Kevin Byard eventually down the line if he does move into the starting lineup. One of Tony's favorite prospects here, DeAndre Walker, went in the fifth round to Tennessee at number 168 overall. He's a guy that's going to produce off the edge for them. Maybe he's not a guy who comes in immediately, but they need some help off the edge. Cameron Wake is getting older. Kamali Correa has never really been that guy that a lot of people thought he was going to be. So DeAndre Walker has a chance to kind of bookend on the outside as a pass rusher with a guy like Harold Landry, who they drafted last year, if both of these guys end up developing. Then their last pick in the sixth round, David Long, the inside linebacker out of West Virginia. Now, he was probably the only player in this draft class that wasn't a top 100 consideration heading into the draft. Decent player at the very least. He's going to be good depth and a guy who can make the roster as a special teamer, if not end up on the practice squad. So while the Titans didn't have a lot of picks, kind of like the Eagles didn't have a lot of picks, I thought they also did a good job here. Now, Tony, we're going to move on to the NFC South. And I'm going to start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I thought they did an excellent job at the top of the draft, drafting Devin White, a guy who you don't see many off-ball linebackers going in the top five. But White was probably a guy who's worth it in the sense that Tampa needed to replace Quan Alexander, who was very productive in that defense. White's going to step in. He's a better player than Quan Alexander, despite the updates or the statistics that Quan Alexander posted. White's going to easily be able to match that on the stat sheet. He's fast. He's forceful on the blitz. He can cover. He's a complete player and a guy who definitely has pro bowl potential. The Sean Bunting pick in the second round, he's a guy we talked about as being kind of a late riser in the process. Uh, He's got the athletic profile to really be a good player here. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Tampa Bay secondary looks like because in the third round, they added Jamel Dean out of Auburn and they added Mike Edwards out of Kentucky. Now, Dean is a guy with good size, blazing speed, as he showed at the Combine, but a limited profile is term, in terms of production and starting in college. But he's a piece of clay that they can possibly mold into something really nice at the corner position. He has a lot of upside. And Mike Edwards is a safety who shows cornerback ability. He was one of those guys at the Senior Bowl where it's hard for safeties to stand out. Well, he was able to do it with his quickness. He can play over the slot receiver. He can play the run. He can play deep. So those were some really intriguing picks for the Bucks to fortify their secondary on the second day. I like the Anthony Nelson pick in the fourth round. He's a guy who can set the edge. He's a guy who can provide a little pass rush use. was more athletic than people expected to see at the Combine. So I'm excited to see what Anthony Nelson will be able to do in Tampa. Uh, the fifth round, Tampa went back to the well, and they drafted a kicker. Now, it wasn't in the second round like Roberto Aguayo a couple of years ago, which is good. And Matt Gay does have a good leg and should be a guy when you take a quarter, when you take a kicker rather in the fifth round. He's a guy that's going to end up being their starter. Hopefully it works out better for them than it did for Roberto Aguayo. They made a couple sixth and seventh round picks here. Scott Miller out of Bowling Green, the potential slot receiver replacement for Adam Humphreys, and Terry Beckner, the defensive tackle out of Missouri, who made a lot of plays as a senior, but falls in the draft here to the seventh round, should at least provide some nice step for Tampa Bay. Tony, what do you think about the NFC South? Yeah, I like Tampa Bay. They were my number one in that division. I like what New Orleans did, but New Orleans had just limited picks. So I'm going to go to Carolina, and I'm going to start it like this. When we first talked about Carolina's draft, I was a little bit miffed because they were taking guys like Brian Burns and Christian Miller, more 3-4 type of guys. And we do have a large following with Carolina Panthers, and I do have a lot of Twitter followers who are Carolina Panther fans. And they corrected me. They educated me. They said, you know what? The Panthers are going to start to incorporate a lot more 3-4, which I really didn't know about. So my ignorance, and thanks for them for educating me to that. And when you look at it from that point of view, 
that they're going to start to incorporate more of a 3-4, this draft makes a lot of sense, starting with Brian Burns, because Brian Burns is a terrific edge rusher. I have my concerns about him defending the run, but if you stand him up and you let him rush the passer, that's what he does exceptionally well. He's got to get a little bit stronger. He's got to get tougher against the run. But I think, you know, this was a terrific pick uh, if you're looking for a 3-4 edge rusher, a guy who can occasionally put his hand on the ground. I like to pick a Greg Little. Greg Little, this is a bit of a boomer bust pick. A year ago, when everyone was coming out with their 2019 mock drafts, everyone had Greg Little mocked as a top 10 pick. I had him going number two to the New York Jets. It was close. The Jets had the third pick of the draft, but Greg Little was nowhere near the uh, second selection. The fact is this. He can play right tackle. He may be able to play him at left tackle. Uh, he can also play guard. You just got to get him back to where he was in 2017. He did not have a good uh, 2018 campaign. He tested terribly during his pro day workouts, but you got to go based on what you saw in 2017 and get him back to that. If you do, this is going to be uh, the steal of the century. Uh, I like the selection of Will Greer primarily because I predicted it, but they do want to get a young quarterback in there. And I think it's a situation with Greer where he's not going to have to play real soon. I think Cam Newton will be a good teammate for him. I think he is an improvement over uh, Taylor Heineke, who is, you know, a game manager with, with marginal arm strength. I think Greer's got terrific physical skills. He's just got to learn to play an NFL system. I love the pick of Christian Miller as a 3-4 outside linebacker in round four. I thought he was third-round value, but he really never tested before the draft because of the injury he suffered in the national championship game. But when you watch him play, he really is a complete 3-4 outside linebacker. He's a guy who can rush the passer. He's a guy who can play in space. He plays smart, tough football. I like the selection a lot. Also, like the last three picks, Jordan Scarlett, for whatever reason, just seemed to fall down everybody's boards. I had him as a late third, early fourth round pick. He's a big back on the inside who runs with good vision, patience, uses his uh, blocks well. I think that this is a guy who can act, could make the active roster. Uh, Dennis Daly's more of a practice squad type of guy. He's got the size. I had him as a fourth-round selection coming into the season. I never really saw him improve his game. I was disappointed at how he played in 2018. Didn't show that much at the Senior Bowl, but he's got an upside. It's just a matter of harvesting that upside. Terry Godwin in the last round, I think, could be a home run. You know, I don't know that there's a lot of room on the Carolina Panther depth chart at wide receiver, but I could see Godwin making it as a fifth receiver return specialist. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he runs scissor-sharp routes. He consistently catches the ball with his hands. He's a tough, heady receiver. Doesn't just try and outrun guys. Does a good job finding the open space uh, in the defense, setting opponents up, and then beating with their routes. I think Godwin's a guy that could be a seventh-round keeper as both a receiver and a return specialist. We will now move to the AFC West, where my number one team, or my favorite draft, there were a couple of teams in there I like, but I'm going to go with the Oakland Raiders for a couple of reasons. Number one, the fact that they took Cleveland Farrell with the fourth pick of the draft. As I said in our podcast on Sunday, I was immediately gratified with that. If you listen to me in any of my interviews that I did around the nation in the weeks up to the draft, I constantly said that Cleveland Farrell was the most underrated player in the draft. Early in the process, I had him mocked to the New York Jets at number three. And then I'm seeing Cleveland Farrell in the 20s. I think one mock draft had him going number 32 to the uh, Patriots. I said, no way. This guy is just too good to to be uh, selected that late. And sure enough, Mike Mayock took him with the fourth pick. So I said, great. I'm not crazy. I expect big things from him. 
Farrell's a terrific player. I think he's going to do a great job in the four-man line. He leads by example. He's not just a pass rusher. He's a guy who can get out laterally and make plays in pursuit. You want to drop him off the line on zone blitzes, he'll do a good job for you. I just like everything about his game. Go back to the national championship game where at times he was manhandling uh, Jonah Williams an outstanding pick by the Oakland Raiders, who, while many will say is a reach and many will say it's a surprise, I think it's going to work out for him well. Josh Jacobs, we've spoken about, you know, the, the Raiders' love for uh, Jacobs was well known. I thought they were going to take him in the top of round two. Well, they took him with their second pick in round one. A guy who I think immediately improves the Raiders' uh, running game. A guy who probably is going to start real quick when you look at the backs on their depth chart. Someone who's runs hard on the inside and also has the ability to turn the uh, corner and get outside the perimeter. Jonathan Abram is an interesting choice. I like him. As a strong safety, although they got called Joseph there, they did sign LaMarcus Joyner in free agency. I think Abram's a guy, you're going to use him as a zone system. You're going to have him face the action. I'm not really a fan of his as a traditional center fielder, but if they use him in zone where he's facing the action, I think he's going to have a long career. Love the pick of Trayvon Mullen in the middle of round two. At one point in time, I had him graded as a potential first-round choice. A guy that, as I said in my scouting report, he's kind of tough to uh, scout at times because no one threw his way because he was blanking. He was locking down his opposing receivers. Guy who's got a great amount of upside. I expect big things from him. Uh, another pick that I absolutely love, Max Crosby, someone that we've talked about since we did our first podcast back in November. The whole story of Max Crosby he was the guy that no one was talking about. I had him graded as a, as a draftable player coming into the season. He's a terrific pass rusher out of a three-point stance, standing over tackle. He's sort of like a mini version of Cleveland Farrell in the sense that he can do it all out of a three-point stance, occasionally stand over tackle. He's got a great amount of upside. I think Crosby's going to be a great situational pass rusher who can also play special teams. And I don't doubt that he's going to be a, a starter down the road with the Oakland Raiders or with a big free agent contract uh, four years into the league. Isaiah Johnson's a bigger cornerback who I think has to face the action. Forster Moreau was a good selection around four. A guy who was known as a blocking tight end at LSU, went to the combine, ran four six, which was probably two tenths faster than everyone thought. He's just a guy that has to learn to play to that speed. Hunter Renfro, I mean, that's been Mike Mayock's favorite guy for the past three years, so it's not uh, a surprise to anyone that Mayock selected him. I think he's going to be a good slot receiver, return specialist. Quentin Bell, we spoke about him on Sunday. No one had a uh, scouting report on Quentin Bell. Well, we did at DraftAnalyst.com. He basically has safety size, but a Prairie View A&M. He was lined up as a pass rusher. I don't know what they're going to do with him at the next level. They, they have him as an edge. He's not a real big guy at 215 pounds. Uh, maybe destined to the practice squad to put some meat on his bones. Yeah, I'd agree with you that the Raiders had the top draft in the AFC West. The team I thought had the second best draft was the Denver Broncos. With the 20th pick in the first round, they took Iowa's tight end, Noah Fant. Now, this is a team they took Jake Butt a few years ago, but had his injury in the bowl game that caused him to fall in the draft. He just got hurt again. Uh, they also have Jeff Hewerman there, who's probably more of a number two long term. Fant gives them a lot of upside at the tight end position. He's a guy who obviously blew up the combine. He's super fast. He's got really receiver athleticism at 250 pounds. That's his game. He's going to win in the passing game, but he's also a pretty good blocker. He's a guy who doesn't maybe get enough credit for that, mostly because his teammate TJ Hawkinson is a complete road grader at the position. The fan is a guy who immediately upgrades the tight end position at Denver and really gives them another weapon in the passing game in addition to Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton long-term once Emmanuel Sanders ends up moving on. 
Denver had a pair of second-round picks at 41, and they traded up for 42. They got Dalton Reisner, the offensive lineman out of Kansas State, and Drew Locke, the quarterback out of Missouri. Now, Reisner is a guy who played tackle at Kansas State, probably going to kick inside to guard in Denver. That's his best fit here on the interior offensive line. He's a smart, heady player. He doesn't wow you with athleticism, but he's got good technique, and he's a good, solid player who we talked about kind of in a negative light at some times, but that was because people were talking about him going in the first round, kind of like when people were talking about Jonah Williams going in the top five. There's value in Dalton Reisner at the 41st overall pick, and he can be a starter right away for Denver. Drew Locke, on the other hand, won't be a starter right away since they have Joe Flacco, but he's a guy who could definitely learn behind Flacco. Both of them are vertical quarterbacks with big arms. Both of them are pretty inconsistent as well. Locke has always had issues with his consistency going back to really his freshman year at Missouri. It would be interesting to see if he can kind of be coached up in that system, if John Elway can take a look at him. Now, reportedly, Locke was the number one quarterback on Denver's board. They said that after making the pick, which every team is going to say, but there's actually credence to that because of all the rumors that they were interested in number 10 ever since the senior bowl. Draymond Jones in the third round was a good, solid pick. A guy who can fit in on the interior of that defensive line push the pocket, a first-step lineman who can kind of create havoc on the interior, a guy who really didn't produce at the level that many expected him to at Ohio State, but a player who can probably be a more productive pro and definitely worth a flyer at the end of the third round. Justin Hollins was their draft pick in the fifth round. Now, we had talked about Justin Hollins a lot on this podcast and talked about him far more favorably than Jalen Jelks, who everyone else seemed to like. Well, Hollins went in the fifth round. Jelks went in the seventh round. Hollins is an exceptional athlete. He's a really good high school track star, and he's a guy who's going to bring a lot of speed off the edge for Denver, opposite Von Miller or behind Von Miller as well. Their sixth-round pick, a guy really don't know a ton about in terms of you know his NFL potential, Colorado wide receiver Jawan Winfrey. They traded up for him, though, so it seems like they are interested in developing him as depth behind guys like Sanders, guys like Sutton, guys like Hamilton. But for me, I really like what Denver did on the first two days of the draft, and I really like the Justin Hollins pick. So even though they only had six picks, they really did well with the draft capital that they had. You know, on on Winfrey, Chris, he's a tall guy who's got decent speed for a bigger receiver. He catches the ball well. I was at the uh, Shrine game. I had him graded just outside of draftable. They got some home cooking there in Denver. He's a guy who could make the roster. And I know that there were teams who were lining up, waiting to sign Winfrey if he fell out of the draft, which a lot of people thought he would. Obviously, he didn't. I thought that was a, uh, a real solid selection by the Broncos that a lot of people don't know about. Absolutely. And we're going to move on to the last division here with the NFC West. And Tony, I'll let you lead it off. Well, (laughs) ironically, I'm going to say the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, on paper, the Cardinals had a a terrific selection of players, but I, except for Kyler Murray, I like San Francisco's draft. I thought Seattle made some questionable picks early on as they usually do. I thought the Rams did a solid job. I like what Arizona did. I'll get to the Kyler Murray pick in a second. But we'll start off with Byron Murphy, a guy who I tweeted before the second day began that that's the, 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 the direction that they were looking at, and that's where they went. The best ball skills of any cornerback in this year's draft, a guy who's a consistent playmaker, you know, has got some size questions, what's his real playing weight, but really a gamer. Andy Isabella late in round two with the selection that they got from the Miami Dolphins for Josh Rosen, a guy that we mentioned multiple times on this podcast that the Arizona Cardinals were very high on. They were thinking of taking him top of round three. Isabel is going to be a perfect fit for that offense. Great route runner, fast, incredibly quick, 
effective running after the uh, reception can be used as a punt returner, can also be used to uh, run reverses. I thought Zach Allen was another solid selection. At one point in time, a lot of people, including myself, thought that Zach Allen was going to be a first-round pick, a guy that I, I think is going to be a perfect fit for that system. I've said all along that Allen can play uh, as a defensive tackle or as a uh, defensive end in a three-man line. I think he's going to fit that system like a glove. Hakeem Butler at the top of round four was decent value. He was overrated by a lot of people. Doesn't have the great uh, route running skills. Doesn't have soft, uh, supple hands, but I think he's going to do very well there. Deontay Thompson fell for obvious reasons. Never worked out for scouts or actually didn't run for scouts. But again, that could be good value in round five, as could Keyshawn Johnson in the sixth round. Much better route runner than Hakeem Butler. Much better natural pass catcher than Hakeem Butler. And a guy who I think fits that system system really well. I thought Lamont Galliard was tremendous value in round six. I had him as a fourth rounder. I think he's a guy that will, if he doesn't battle with Justin Cole for the starting center spot, he's a guy that could maybe push Cole over to guard because Cole played a multiple, a variety of positions at Michigan. I thought that was an outstanding pick for the Cardinals. Josh Miles, the offensive lineman from Morgan State. Michael Dogby, the defensive lineman, defensive end, defensive tackle from Temple. And Caleb Wilson, the tight end from UCLA, I think all three seventh-round picks are destined for the practice squad. Now, overall, I would have graded this as probably one of the best drafts there, except for the Kyler Murray pick. I mean, uh, I've been outspoken about that. I, I think the way, the way they went about it with Josh Rosen there, the fact they gave up all that capital, whether it be picks to move up to get Josh Rosen last year, whether it be cash and signing bonuses for Rosen last year and, and Kyler Murray this year, whether it's the fact that, you know, the Kyler Murray selection was to appease the, the new coach, which was a questionable hire. I just think, you know, it's going to be a draft that is going to hinge on how Kyler Murray does. It really shouldn't be, but I, I just can't grade it that high overall. Best in the division, yes. But overall, I just struggle doing that because of the Kyler Murray pick, because I just think the Kyler Murray pick was just the wrong way to go. And, and that was the end result of Cliff Kingsbury being hired as the coach. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly been critical of how the Cardinals handled that whole QB dilemma. And, and in the end, they had the number one overall pick this year. They had the number 15 pick last year, and they used a three and a five to move up from that number 15 pick to get Josh Rosen. So all that draft capital for them turned into Kyler Murray and Andy Isabella and a future pick. So not great in terms of resources there. Obviously, if Kyler Murray is a huge hit, no one's going to remember. And as you said, the rest of their draft, quite outstanding. Definitely the best in the division. I would say the second best draft in that division is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, they were sitting at pick two, talking about potentially trading down. But in the end, they stayed put and they made the right pick, taking Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa, guy who can really excel against the pass as a pass rusher. Not maybe a 14 to 15 sack type of upside guy, but a guy who can get you a good solid 9 to 11 sacks a season, really defend the run well, an excellent player, a complete player, a really safe pick with a good amount of upside as well. I really like the Debo Samuel pick at the top of the second round. It was a widely rumored pick that San Francisco was interested in him. Kyle Shanahan really is a guy whose system fits Debo Samuel well as a player who can get consistent separation. He was easily the top receiver at the Senior Bowl, really made a lot of the cornerbacks there look silly. A guy who's going to make an immediate impact. Him and Dante Pettis are an intriguing combination as guys that can play everywhere on the field, guys that can easily separate. Jimmy Garoppolo is really going to have some open receivers. In the third round, they doubled up 
at the wide receiver position, and they went with Jalen Hurd, the wide receiver out of Baylor, former Tennessee running back, and a guy who really is intriguing in a lot of ways because he hasn't been playing the receiver position very long, but he runs pretty good routes. He's a guy who can get downhill quickly after the catch. He's tall. He's big. He can make plays in the air as well. So he's a guy that intrigues in a lot of ways. He's kind of a project, which makes him an interesting pick at the beginning of the third round, but there's a lot of upside there, and they continue to just stockpile weapons on offense. Mitch Wisnowski, the punter out of Utah, it's always kind of questionable when you draft a punter in the fourth round, even if he ends up being the best punter in the league, but Wisnowski is a good player who will be an immediate impact player flipping the field for San Francisco. I really like their fifth-round pick, Dre Greenlaw, linebacker out of Arkansas, run-and-chase linebacker, a guy who's going to probably play on the weak side. Chase down plays be a very good special team asset. And he has good speed. He had good production at Arkansas. They had a trio of six-round picks to close it out. Caden Smith out of Stanford, Justin School out of Vanderbilt, and Tim Harris out of Virginia. Now, none of these guys are world beaters. But, again, we're talking about a division that, as you said, the Rams had limited draft capital, did a decent job. The Seahawks made questionable picks, as they tend to do. So for me, the top of the Niners draft was very strong. They did a decent job in the middle. Caden Smith can certainly be a backup tight end to George Kittle. He's limited athletically. He's not going to separate, but he's a player who can play. And I know Justin School is also an interesting prospect as a guy who can fill in as a backup here. Not a bad prospect at all for the sixth round. Tim Harris, a bit of a reach in the sixth round, but can we really call six round picks a reach, even if we have him graded as a free agent on our board? It's tough to fully knock what the Niners did in the sixth round, and overall, not as good, not as deep in terms of what their draft was compared to the Arizona Cardinals, but when you look at teams drafting 1-2, the Niners got the way safer prospect at the top of the board. Before we sign off, Tony, any final thoughts on what we've gone through here? Well, not on what we've gone through, but what we haven't talked about. You know, Chris and I are here in New York, and literally since uh, Friday, uh, Thursday, I'm li- when I listen to the radio, I hear these uh, New York Giant fans who have to be pulled in from the ledge because they're about to jump out the window because the Giants took Daniel Jones with the sixth pick of the draft. Now, if you want to want to complain that the Giants drafted Daniel Jones a little bit early, I understand that. Maybe he was selected uh, six slots too early because I think he would have gone. Some team would have taken him in that area from 12 to 15. I've heard people say he was late first rounder. There was one report, which I thought was ludicrous in New York that said, you know, he was a mid second round choice. This was not from a fan. This was from a quote unquote draft analyst. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. He Daniel Jones would have gone somewhere between the 11th pick and the uh, 15th pick. I have no doubt in that. Daniel Jones is an excellent quarterback prospect. There's no arguing that. He doesn't have the physical skills of some of these guys, the Dwayne Haskins or the Kyler Murray. But as I've said time and time again, he didn't have the receivers at his disposal that Dwayne Haskins had. He didn't have the offensive line blocking for him that Kyler Murray had. He didn't have the wide open system or a receiver like Emmanuel Hall to throw to like Drew Locke had or or even a tight end like the one that Drew Locke had. I mean, he has a very marginal talent around him. The one tight end, Daniel Helm, I'm sure if he hasn't signed, he's going to sign a free agent contract. Listen, Giant fans, calm down. You got a good quarterback. A year ago, Giant fans were screaming because they, they didn't take a quarterback. They took Saquon Barkley. This year, they're screaming because they took a quarterback over Josh Allen. Relax. Josh Allen is a guy I've watched for three years. I thought he was a legitimate top prospect for three years. He just has to physically mature. He just has to get uh, acquainted to better competition and the the players around him. He's well coached. He gets it between the ears. I'm listening to giant fans. 
they actually sound like Jet fans used to sound when they were during the days when they were taking Jeff Lagerman and Mike Kate before the days of uh, Sports Talk Radio. But, you know, if you want to complain that Daniel Jones was selected maybe six or seven picks too early, I don't think the Giants were going to get him at the 17th pick. I think he would have been gone from there. I think a team, whether it be Cincinnati, maybe Washington, if depending on what happened with Dwayne Haskins, maybe a team moves up to get him. You may have reached for him by by six selections. This thought that he was going to be there at 17, I don't think so. Some people talking about he was a, worth a, a mid-second round selection. That's outrageous. Just relax. You got yourself a good quarterback. The problem with Daniel Jones is he's not going to be a day one starter, which is just going to add to the anger of New York Giant fans. But I think Daniel Jones is in the perfect situation. You got him for at least five years. He doesn't have to play right away. We saw what benefit that was to uh, Patrick Mahomes. He has the ability to develop both physically and mentally. Granted, I thought Dwayne Haskins would have been the better quarterback, and I thought it was a little bit early by six selections. But Daniel Jones fits the profile of what the Giants want in a starting quarterback. So you guys got to relax and just let it play out. It's funny you mentioned Giant fans acting like Jets fans because I've been saying that since pretty much last year where the Giants have not necessarily become the laughing stock of MetLife Stadium, but compared to the Jets, everyone's looking at the Giants and saying they're not doing things the right way, they're messing this up, they're messing that up. And to your point about Jones, he wasn't going to be there at 17. There were other teams after the draft that have been certainly rumored to have interest in him, whether it was pick 12, pick 15, somewhere in that range, a trade up. He probably wasn't going to last to 17. And even if we disagree with their evaluation of Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins or as a top six pick, if you believe truly in your heart that a quarterback is a franchise type of player, you don't wait around for him. You don't trade back and try to maximize value on the pick and get your guy. If you really believe in him and you have the sixth overall pick and the 17th pick, you take him with the sixth overall pick, no questions asked. So even if we can disagree on the evaluation, we can at least look at what Dave Gettleman said, and I can respect the conviction to take Daniel Jones and to recognize that if he's going to do that and he believes in the player, he needs to do it at number six. Back in October on a Saturday afternoon, I did a radio interview on WFAN in New York with Gary Myers, the former longtime uh, football writer for the New York Daily News. He's with The Athletic now. And we were talking about quarterbacks in the 2019 draft. We weren't talking about Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins. We were talking about Ryan Finley. We were talking about uh, Jared Stidham and a a few other guys and Daniel Jones as well. And I remember saying to Gary, you know, the, the overall theme, the overall anger was giant fans were upset because their team had selected Saquon Barkley over uh, Sam Darnold, who was having a a degree of success with the Jets. It wasn't outstanding. He was showing some good things while Saquon Barkley was lighting the uh, world on fire. And I said to Gary then, I said, you know, there used to be a time where it would take three years to really decide whether a draft graded out highly or whether a player was going to make it in the NFL, whether he was worth a draft pick. Now people want a diagnosis in less than three months. I mean, with Daniel Jones, it's like less than three hours. Uh, You know, it's kind of crazy how, you know, it's not even instant gratification. As I've said before, and and we talked about this on Sunday night, the draft is just the beginning. It's not the end. All it is is names on a piece of paper. I think the bigger question for Giant fans is, do you trust Pat Shermer and his ability to develop a quarterback? Do you have faith in him and, and the ability to develop a guy like Daniel Jones? From where I sit, looking at Pat Sherman's history, 
looking at his past? I say absolutely. And that's all for the 57th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. As always, head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest, as well as plenty of post-draft content coming up for you. And on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.